0: it has been my intention to uh to teach through the gospel of mark and to get us to the point where we are on resurrection sunday teaching about the resurrection so it just turns out that i'm a couple chapters behind imagine that um but uh for the um i know that uh, that you guys are quite familiar with the story Uh, we got last week through mark chapter 13 and uh, that was a There was a big passage to get through. From chapter 14 through chapter 16, there are a lot of really, really important big things that happen for the the development of our core values as uh, faithful believers. In Mark chapter 14, something happens that's really, really profound. It's one of the most beautiful stories of worship that we've ever heard. And um, and it has so much in it uh, that I, I don't want to gloss over it and miss it. I, I want to teach on that at, at some later stage. It's the story of the alabaster flask and uh, the woman who comes to Jesus and worships him by pouring it out, breaking it and pouring it out. And, uh, and for those of you who are familiar with the story, uh, don't be confused. There's a, a story in Luke chapter 7 which is early in the ministry of Jesus, where a woman of ill repute comes and breaks an alabaster jar of perfume and pours it over his feet while he's reclining at, table, at the table of Simon the Pharisee. On this particular occasion, Mark's gospel doesn't give us a whole lot, except that Jesus is at the table of, the, of Simon the leper, clearly a leper who had been cleansed because they're about to celebrate Passover, and it would not be appropriate for a leper to be hosting people in his home prior to the Passover if he was not cleansed. So he was known as Simon the leper, but he must have been cleansed. And I'm going to guess he was one of those healed by Jesus. Different from Simon the Pharisee, for sure. And uh, this happens at the end of Jesus' ministry, where the other one happens at the beginning. So it turns out there must be two occasions. This is what scholars have agreed on. There must be two occasions. Uh, Either that or Luke, the gospel writer, is confused in his story. But I, I, I don't think Luke, the historian would have been confused, and I'm not sure that the disciples who knew Luke and who would have kind of read his manuscript, I'm not sure that they would have agreed had there not been two of these events. So suffice it to say, I think it happened twice, which makes the story even more powerful, in my opinion, in the story in Mark, which is then also told in in, uh, Matthew's gospel, and more powerfully, uh, it's told in John's story. Uh, the Gospel of John, with a few more details, because we get to know who this person is. In John's account, it's Mary, the sister of Lazarus. And she uh, pours out the ointment in John's Gospel, not on his head, as Mark has it here, but also on his feet, which is profound because, as Richard just told you, not, not a day or so later, Jesus is going to be washing everybody else's feet. So the foot washing is kind of an interesting theme. It's a theme of humility. It's a theme of pure faith. And Mary, who pours out this ointment on Jesus, according to Jesus, does it in recognition of his soon-to-be death and burial. Not aware of his resurrection yet. Anyway, it's a beautiful story, and I, I would love to go there, but we don't have time to go there today. There's another part of that story which results in of course the betrayal. Judas when he sees that happen is so angry about it that it's it's the turning point for him. It's after she pours out this anoint anointing on Jesus that Judas it's the last straw. It it sends him out the door and he goes immediately and conspires with the high priest or with the the the, the leaders of the the scribes and the priests, and so forth, and he conspires to betray Jesus. And the betrayal is a fascinating contradiction of the love of Christ, which has been displayed for him, and the love of other worshipers for Jesus. And Judas complains about the gift that Mary brings, and, uh, and he's, he's angry. Uh, because the Bible tells us that he would much rather have taken the money for himself because he used to do that frequently. He was not faithful. He was not faithful with finances. And uh, he was clearly confused as to what the role of Jesus was going to be as Redeemer. And the Lucan story tells us that the woman who, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, is pouring out this this fragrance on Jesus, she is kissing his feet continuously, the house of Simon the Pharisee and uh, and it's it's with kisses that he is worshipped, and it's with a kiss that he is betrayed and there are these there's these contrasts in the story shown to us in the heart that is so close to Christ and yet so very, mm-hmm. very far away, and then the one who is not worthy now we don't know with Mary who does this in the end of Jesus' ministry, is the same woman who did it in the early part of the story, a woman of ill repute. Probably not, but we don't know. What we do know is that when Jesus was dying on the cross, it's very likely that the fragrance that had been poured out on him just a few days earlier, which would have been very strong, and of course people didn't shower as frequently back then, and I'm sure he didn't shower uh, maybe he bathed himself for the, for the meal, uh, possibly, but the, the fragrance would no doubt have lingered if it was in his hair. It's possible that Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, was reminded by this fragrance, which would have been a beautiful testament of the love of one who is forgiven much. Because Jesus said that to Simon the Pharisee, he said, whoever is forgiven much loves much. And it's very likely that Jesus would have remembered that on the cross. And it would have been just what he needed, probably, at the right time. You know, he got thirsty and they offered him stuff to drink. Well, maybe he, maybe he was really weak in a moment on that cross. And worship reminded him what he was doing. I don't know. I guess we won't know until we meet him face to face. But it is, for whatever it's worth, the act of extravagant worship followed by the act of unbearable, unbelievable betrayal is just such a contrast. And I can't get away from it in the Gospel of Mark, and I don't think you're supposed to either. Because somebody who walked with Jesus so closely could miss him by so far. Of course, we've got the garden of Gethsemane in there, and we've got the uh, we've got the Lord's Supper, we've got the Passover, we've got then the garden of Gethsemane, and after Jesus has told Peter that he's going to deny him. It's interesting, though, uh, that there was a there's a correlation, and this is this is to me, it's 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 just a, a beautiful again a, a thread in the tapestry of God and the way he he tells a story. Do you remember when David was, uh, needed to flee the city of Jerusalem because his son Absalom was, was usurping power? Remember there was a betrayal of King David by his very own son. So somebody very close to him, somebody that he had set aside, set apart, and, and who was carrying royal authority actually betrayed him. And it was closer even than Judas and Jesus. It was his very own son betraying him. And you may recall in, uh, in these... Um, Uh, in 2 Samuel, that David uh, got up and fled from the city. And do you remember the path that he took in fleeing from the city? He crossed over the Kidron Valley. Does that ring a bell for those of you who are Bible scholars? He crossed over the Kidron Valley and he climbed up the hill on the other side, which would have been what? What was later known as the Mount of Olives. And, uh, And when he had crossed the Kidron Valley and had climbed the Mount of Olives... There was a foreigner who had joined his army, a Gittite, in other words, one from the town of Gath, uh, f- f- where, where, where you may recall who was from there, that's right, Goliath was from the town of Gath, and so there was a, there was a Gittite whose name was Ittai, <laughs> Ittai the Gittite, there you go, a little memory thing for you, be impressed. <laughs> Ittai the Gittite came to David and he said to him, I will never leave you. All others may forsake you, but I will not forsake you. I am with you. My sword is your sword. Interesting, isn't it? It's exactly what happens with Jesus. Jesus is being betrayed. He knows it. The others don't. But he crosses over the Kidron Valley after singing a hymn with his disciples, and they climb to the Mount of Olives to this garden where he liked to pray, the Garden of Gethsemane, overlooking the Temple Mount. And there, Peter said to him, If everybody else fails, I will not. Wanting perhaps to be like Ittai the Gittite, who was one of the, one of the uh, strong men of David. He was one of the 30, I believe. And. Um, and David accepted his sword and his help. But Jesus did not accept the sword of Peter. Jesus said to Peter instead, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. Because as it turns out, our Redeemer was not to be redeemed himself. He was the offering that was to be offered on the Mount of Moriah, and the angel would not stay the hand. Remember Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah? Isaac who carried the wood, because Abraham set it on his shoulders. And Isaac who asked, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham who said, God will provide. Jehovah Jireh, thank you Richard. We talked about that in men's Bible study this week, and if you missed it, you should have been there because Richard teaches a mean Bible study. I'm just saying, it's good stuff. There are so many beautiful tapestry threads that are woven together here in the story that it just makes it so vastly rich. And it's not just rich from a literary perspective or from some sort of, you know, it's, it's not because we're just reading a really good, a really good book. What I love about it is that God doesn't leave anything unfinished. He doesn't leave anything unfinished. And, uh, and here uh, in Mark chapter uh, 14, Jesus gets taken be- before the council. And uh, interestingly enough, um, John, it seems, John the Apostle John, uh, has access to that place because he's known to the high priest and the high priest's family. So John must have had some uh, some connection with the with the priestly upper class. Not quite sure how that worked out, but God saw fit that there should be someone there who witnessed these things so that we could hear about it. And uh, Peter of course ends up denying the Lord and Jesus is brought before the council and and then he's delivered over to Pilate and and then the crucifixion happens and uh and um, and Jesus breathes his last and utters his last cry, last loud cry. And we're not given the words "It is finished" in here. We're not see. We don't see here uh, the words "It is finished." But for me, the powerful, the powerful um, idea that that I want to give you guys today is that when God starts a thing. He finishes it. He doesn't ever leave it unfinished. And if it is to this point unfinished, it is not to remain unfinished. There is a timeline, and there is a specific time. There is a time of beginning, and there is a time of ending, a time of transition from one project to the next, from one season to another. God begins things and ends things, and he is profoundly able to do it and to astonish us when we look back on it. And I think the, uh, I think the, the, the part that I, I find th- that this generates, what, what this generates in my heart is a call to trust Him. I'm not always good at it, but a call to trust Him. That He who began a good work, as you mentioned in the men's breakfast. By the way, Scott teaches a mean men's breakfast, so he will on Thursday morning at the daily paper at 8.30 in the morning. So be there, out there on West Main Street next to the high schools. Fellas, if you want to be there, 8.30, and the new guy... Eats for free, so right? Because Scott's gonna pay for them. Sorry, Katie, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Philippians chapter 1. This is a profound thing for each of us, and today I want it to be your take home. I want this to be your take home. Listen carefully. He who started the good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Yeah. You know who I'm talking to. Do you know that this happened at the time of Passover? All of this. What else happened at the time of Passover in Scripture? Well, obviously the Passover, right? With, uh, with Moses and the children of Israel. Uh, Richard shared that with us a few weeks ago when he led communion, and he talked about, the, uh, about uh, the Seder meal. What makes this night different from any other night, right? What makes this day different from any other day? Well, we recognize that the uh, Passover was a foreshadowing of something greater, right? Obviously, Jesus is the Lamb of God that was slain. But do you know that there were some other events that took place on Passover throughout the history of the Jews? Did you guys know that? Uh, one, of the most, uh, one of the most remarkable, of course, is that uh, right at Passover time, Joshua and the people of Israel had crossed over the Jordan River and were about to take Jericho. you guys remember that? Do you remember how that story went? Joshua and the people had gathered because Moses had instructed them, now's the time. God has given you the green light. It's time for you to go in and take the promised land. And so Joshua and the people encamped on the east side of Jordan, and they were getting ready to go over, and the Lord instructed Joshua to tell the priests to bring the Ark of the Covenant and to stand in the midst of the River Jordan, which overflows its bank at the time of the harvest, at the time of the first harvest, the barley harvest, and that would be right around Passover. So in the book of Joshua, it tells you that on the tenth day of the first month, which is the day of unleavened bread, on the tenth day of the first month, they went and stood in the midst of the Jordan River, and what happened? As the priests entered the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, the Jordan River was stopped up, like the Red Sea. Do you remember that? Now it may not be as impressive to you as the Red Sea, but uh, to me, any time you can stop water flowing, and uh, just by stepping in it, uh, that seems pretty impressive. And the Bible tells us that the water stood up in a heap above them, and below them, all the way down to the Salt Sea, it was like dry ground. And so millions of people could cross over on dry ground across the Jordan. Now, the Jordan is not a particularly wide river, but in the flood season, it's considerably wider than it is at other times. The fact is that they entered into the midst of the river, and the priests stood there with the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the river. And everybody passed over. So the Ark of the Covenant went first. What does this sound like to you? What, what does entering into the water mean to a Christian? I need you guys to think, okay? So this is, this is like a class. Baptism. Yeah. Does somebody behind a, behind a post over there say baptism? Yeah? Yeah. Baptism. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. I think it's Peter behind me. Good work baptism, the waters of baptism, the waters of baptism remind us, of course, of the salvation at the time of Noah, because there was an ark different from the Ark of the Covenant. This was a much bigger one that contained animals, Uh, but the ark floated while the rest of the world was deluged, and uh, salvation came, right? But not a full salvation, because sin was in the ark also in the hearts of Noah and his family, and they sinned not long after they started the new world. And wouldn't you believe it? Here we are again. Thank you so much for that. So we needed a different kind of salvation other than just destruction of all that is evil. So a quick uh, note to the wise, if you want to create a utopia, you're not going to do it by killing off all the people you disagree with. I think I talked about that last week, didn't I? Yep. So, you cannot destroy people who think differently from you, or you cannot make a utopia that's just got people just like you who think just the way you do. It's not going to work on this side of heaven. You know why? Because sin is bound up in the hearts of men. We are dead on the inside. So, the second time there was water uh, that they needed to go through, there was a parting of the water. And what happened? Certain people were saved again, and certain people were destroyed again. Once again with Moses, the people needed a new kind of salvation, not the one that was offered. This time they got the law in their hearts, something Noah did not have. They got the law, but as it turns out, law and order doesn't solve man's problem either. And so a reworking of our constitution or a reworking of our government or a reworking of whatever will not save us there either. Next thing, we have this Jordan River experience. And at Passover, they cross over, and everybody has to walk past the Ark of the Covenant. Now, that was not a usual thing. For the most part, the Ark of the Covenant would be in the middle of the marching party. You'd have three tribes up front, and then another three tribes close to it, and then the Ark, and then three tribes, and three tribes. Twelve tribes in all, and the Ark was in the middle. And not everybody would march past the Ark of the Covenant. So this was really a first time and only time that the people would march right past it. And where was the Ark? It was in the midst of the river. And so what do we have? We have this demonstration that that which contains the glory and the power and the presence of God, the seat of God, the mercy seat of God, it goes into the water first. And then everybody else can go through. And that becomes a foreshadowing of Christ, doesn't it? Who goes into death first. Essentially, on our behalf, although men have died from the beginning until now, but Christ is the first one to part the waters. And in his resurrection, now we march past that resurrection of his into the promises of God. And as we go through, what do we do? We recognize that it is only through Christ that we are able to enter. And so the exclusive claims that Jesus makes, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is not because Jesus is proud and arrogant. It's because it's actually true. There is only one way to the Father. There's only one way to overcome death, and it's through the one who did overcome death. As we march past that Ark of the Covenant, as it were, and into our promise. The story in the book of Joshua is remarkable to me, because it immediately, immediately transitions to the salvation of a prostitute, a woman of ill repute, who is saved because of her faith, who hangs a scarlet thread out of her window and is saved. In the gospel story, the resurrection takes place. And we are able to walk through this, what used to be the floodwaters of death, unscathed. And the first thing that I see is Mary at the tomb of Jesus. Mary Magdalene, a woman who had been possessed of many demons. We don't know what her past was and how she got there but it was probably not good. And she becomes the first one to witness the resurrected Christ. And it seems to me that the stories are beautifully woven together. That it was a woman in the town of Jericho who was saved from sure destruction. Rahab and her family, saved by faith, And the story is not so much about the destruction of Jericho as it is about the salvation of Rahab, because after. After we have the defeat of death itself, the resurrection, as it were, demonstrated in the crossing over the the parted Jordan. There is rescue from judgment. All of these things in the Old Testament point towards what God is doing. And this is what God is doing now. God is declaring that we are redeemed. God is sending us forth to rescue those from the cities and the towns around us that where the wrath of God will most certainly be poured out. God is sending us to rescue these from there because he is powerful enough to do that. In the next part of the Joshua story, there's a battle against the city of Ai, and it should have been an easy victory, but there was someone who, there was someone who took of, the, of the, the holy things that had been separated out to God and hid them in his own tent. In the New Testament, the book of Acts, everything's beautiful and it's all going so well until Ananias and Sapphira try to steal from the Lord. And it's the same story being told again. Can I tell you that the end of the story is this judgment is coming. But you and I are spared that judgment because we're part of the people of the Lord who are entering into the promises of God. But there are all around us those who do not know. Maybe they sense it coming. It is our responsibility, my friends, not to march forth in the judgment of God, but to march forth as missionaries of his grace, emissaries of his grace, going forth to plead with others to come and to be healed, pleading with them to hang the scarlet thread from their windows. And Mark's gospel ends with that great commission. And I'm going to read this to you as we close. Mark chapter 16, verse 14. Afterwards, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. To the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying Signs God is able to finish what He started. He is going to finish what He started. Practically, if He has made a beginning of things in your life, then trust him. He will also bring them to completion. Those things that have you fretting and anxious and worried. trust him. But know this, that he will also finish the work that He has begun in the world around us, and you and I get to be a part of that. Let's carry the gospel. Let's carry the good news. Let's go and rescue those. Because the work is finished. God bless you, thank you so much for listening. I am uh, going to take my leave of you and I'm gonna ask, uh, perhaps uh, I can get, uh, let's see. Jason, you look just so ready in your suit. Would you perhaps come and close the service in prayer, my brother, and uh, dismiss the people? and uh, I am heading right out the door. So I love you guys. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Please keep us in your prayers and thoughts. Thank you.